Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Yes, I'm very ready. Let's go! Alright, let's give it a whirl! Okay. And I just want to say hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you're enjoying this lovely autumn weather. Is it autumn at your house, Chandler? Uh, it is less hot. Uh, so <laughs> th- th- that's all you can really hope for uh, in Texas. Uh, it is, we're, we're, not, we're not in triple digits anymore. Ooh. Well, that is fall. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so, I uh, just want to uh, give a shout out to all of our uh, listeners and supporters out there. Thank you so much uh, for uh, all of uh, your kind words that you've uh, passed on to us, uh, either in person or uh, through the interwebs. Uh, we appreciate it very much. And uh, for those of you, if this is your first episode of History and Retrograde, welcome. Uh, we've got uh, quite the little party going on over here. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, the the way that this show works is that in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Now, you, the listening audience, already know who this historical figure is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected the person, but Mom, do you have any idea who, we're going to be, who we will be talking about today? <laughs> no, I never know who we're going to talk about or what we're going to talk about. But I do know this. There's one thing I do know. It's going to be very interesting because you always choose the most interesting subjects. <laughs> oh, I, uh, well, we'll see. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I will give that information uh, to my mother and she will input that data into the back computer. And out will come the astrological birth chart where all of the planets, moons and stars were at the moment 
that person was born. She will then do her best to give a blind reading of this chart, uh, doing uh, what she can to tell us about the person's personality traits, uh, different aspects of their life, maybe the fortunes of this mystery history guest. I will then reveal to her who our uh, historical figure is this episode, give a little background about the person, then we'll come together at the end and figure out how accurate the chart was at uh, predicting what that person would do. Uh, so without any further ado, let us begin. All right. This is a male. All right, one second. All right. Uh, born on the 17th. Yes. Of March. All right. 1884. Okay. And do we have any idea what time? Uh, I unfortunately was not able to get a time for this one. Hmm. All right. Well, we're going to do noon. Do I want to do... What do you want to do, Chandler? Noon or midnight? I, I think we have pretty good track records with noon. Okay. All right. And where in the world? Uh, the United States. All right, and what town? Fairview, Texas. Ooh, Texan, huh? And Wilson uh, County. Wilson County. Wow, there's a lot of Fairviews. Well, in Texas, uh, there's a lot of places to get a good Fairview. <laughs> okay. Let's see. So again, this is a male born on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, 1884, Fairview, Wilson County, Texas. All right. Let me get into a comfortable position here and start working with this. So if we do noon as the time of birth, we have Cancer rising at one degree. Interesting. We're going to go through the planets because we don't know for sure what this person's rising sign is. But maybe eventually we could figure it out uh, by knowing who they are and some of their behavior. So we have Sun at 27 degrees Pisces. The planets were not changed. The only thing that could possibly change is the moon but probably not since moon is at three degrees Sag with him uh, having a birth time at noon. Uh, it would go straight through on Sag no matter what time of day he was born at this point, I think. Possibly. Uh, Mercury is at 15. No, that's not true because if we did it the other way, he could have uh, Scorpio rising. So that, I mean, Scorpio moon. So Mercury is at 15 degrees Pisces, Venus is at 8 degrees Taurus, Mars is at 2 degrees Leo, Jupiter is at 24 degrees Cancer, Saturn is at 4 degrees Gemini, Uranus is at 26 degrees Virgo, Neptune is at 18 degrees Taurus, Pluto is at 29 degrees Taurus, North Node is at 23 degrees Libra, and Chiron is at 29 degrees Taurus. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. 
So. <clears throat> uh, this person has uh, Mars in Leo and Jupiter in Cancer. In this chart, it's in the second house. But, uh, interesting, Jupiter in Cancer. Jupiter is the planet of benevolence, the planet of um, gifts, the planet of uh, philosophy and uh, religion and travel and uh, higher education. And this person has this in Cancer, which is very nurturing. So somehow this person should have been uh, a nurturing type of person or somehow uh well i just i cancer is nurturing i mean they could be crabby they could be really crabby i guess <laughs> but i think they're probably more nurturing mars and leo is going to give them a very interesting dynamic their mars is at two degrees leo so in my uh readings I consider that a cusp because it's within five degrees one way or the other, uh, especially when it's in three degrees one way or the other. So uh, this person could also have some of that Mars conjunct his Jupiter by sign and uh, could be uh, by degree as well, because when you have Mars conjunct Jupiter, that's like a double effect. And in this case, it would be a double effect of nurturing and direction and passion and possibly having a passion even for show business or things that have to do with Leo aspects, which is children and uh, entertainment and leadership and uh things that are bright and shiny and sunshiny. Uh, this person has Uranus in Virgo. Uranus does not like to be in Virgo per, per se, because Uranus is a very out of control aspect. Uranus, not, uh, it isn't out of control. Uranus knows what it's doing, but we don't know what Uranus is going to do next. It's always a surprise. It's always lightning bolt effect. Um, and having that in Virgo may give some control over that outer aspect, but it is very interesting to have Uranus in Virgo at 26 degrees. So, uh, interesting. And then North Node in uh libra at 23 degrees north node in libra very interesting because that would mean your direction the light side of libra which i don't honestly i don't see that libra has a dark side but they, i mean it's very uh fair-minded it could be uh, a lawyer or a judge or someone who is very good at weighing both sides. Um, in this chart, we have the North Node in the fifth house, which would place this North Node, if we knew that this was in fact the birth time, they would be 
uh, sort of drawn to Leo things, um, which are, you know, entertainment, uh, leadership, um, uh, children, uh, romance, uh, all th- hobbies, all the things that are fun are fifth house. Then moon is in uh, Sagittarius. Yes, moon in Sagittarius at three degrees. Ooh, this would be, this would make this person be um, uh, very freedom loving, uh, have a passion for independence, um, also be honest and, and true uh, in all the good aspects of Sagittarius, law-abiding, maybe a lawmaker, um, but definitely uh, they could also make them be uh, or enjoy uh, women. Maybe this person's mother was very outgoing and independent and uh, a trendsetter, perhaps. Um, we don't have any, we have uh uh, Capricorn on the seventh house, Aquarius on the eighth house. There aren't any planets in that per this chart. We have Mercury in Pisces. Interesting. Mercury in Pisces would make this person uh, have the ability to communicate dream things, dreamlike things. These people can spin a yarn. These people can... Uh, even um, inspire things through their communication, written communication, um, songs, any of these kinds of Piscean things. But that you know, it's Neptune also. So this person, dark side, could be great at not telling the truth. If that were the case, if this were the dark side of this person, their Midhaven is in. Uh, Pisces as well. So Midhaven conjunct Mercury, if this is the right chart. If they were born at 12 noon, they would have mid their Mercury conjunct their Midhaven, which would give them a kind of a, a leg up in the career department of being able to communicate in a way that is uh, very creative. And then this person has sun at 27 degrees Pisces. So we have this interesting, uh, trine of the sun and the Mercury and the Jupiter and the Mars. Not if the, you know, if the Mars is, it, it, it should be right on the cusp. So, uh, close enough to, uh, the Mercury, maybe. Um, I would count it. I would look at it anyway. It might not be uh, completely accurate. It might not be what this person's um, personality portrays, but it is there. And uh, this person could have had a very uh, interesting temper because Pisces people can have for as watery and dreamy and um, creative as they are, they can be pretty fierce if they want to be. Then we have Venus and Neptune in Taurus. Hmm. 
Venus and Neptune in Taurus would be very interesting because we also have Chiron in Taurus Venus and Pluto. Oh my, we have Chiron conjunct Pluto at 29 degrees Taurus. We have Neptune at 18 degrees Taurus and we have Venus at eight degrees Taurus. That is a lot of Taurus uh, for a person. That would make this person very headstrong, but also, and kind of like it, like that being headstrong and like enjoying that uh, uh, persistence of whatever they do. They're very intense, this person. Um, and then Saturn at four degrees, Gemini. Hmm. This is lessons with communications, lessons with siblings, lessons with all things Gemini. In this situation, it would be in the 12th house, but no matter how you look at it, the planets are where the planets are, no matter what time this person was born. The only thing that would possibly change is the moon, and it could be at late degree Scorpio instead of Sag. Uh, is any of this making any sense? Yeah. Okay. And do you have any questions? Um, what role do you think religion would play in their life? Well, they have Jupiter in Cancer at 24 degrees. So I can see this person as being, um, uh, having a connection to religion. I don't know what their ninth house is for sure. In this situation, we have ninth house in Aquarius. If this person were actually to be born at noon, then they would have a very unique and uh, view of religion. And if they were born at noon, like we've said, they have Mercury in the ninth house per this chart, which would make them very communicative, very communicative about, about religion. They could be because ninth house is ruled by Jupiter. And Do you have any other questions? Yes. Uh, what is this person's relationship to, um, uh, the outdoors and to adventure. Well, this person has moon in Sagittarius, so they should be fairly adventurous. They should like that. And they have uh, so many planets in Taurus, which would also make them very earthy and very appreciative of the outdoors. How would this person do in a physical confrontation? Well, I would not uh, attempt a physical confrontation with this person knowing what where their planets are because this person has way too much Taurus to want to uh, threaten them physically. And uh, they also have this moon in Sag, which can also be very uh, combustible. And this question um, may 
seem like it's like our first one, but I, I kind of separate the two. What what can you get any glimpse as to the morals of this person? What does this person view morality? Is it something that can be manipulated, or is there a hard and fast, um, you know, a view of it? What what is his relationship to morality? Well, I would say that with this moon in Sagittarius and all of these planets in Taurus, that this person would have um, good morals. If this person instead has moon in Scorpio, then it is possible that this person could have their own set of morals. Meaning that uh, it's possible to uh, apply your version of morals to you and my version of morals to me. And uh, do you think this person views the world uh, more black and white or more shades of gray? Well, there's an awful lot of planets in Taurus there, and I would think it, it would be more black and white. What would his relationship be to authority? Um, hmm. Well... I want to say that this person is uh, an authority. They might not be uh, the head authority, but I feel like this person will have made it to a position of hierarchy. Um, they have North Node in Libra, which is interesting to me because that does bring in the scales and weighing this against that. So uh, this person could have um, kind of a, a situational uh, view of authority, if that makes any sense at all. And um, what would he feel about corruption? I just feel like this person... I want to go with all of these light sides because a person who has Sagittarius placements is usually pretty up and up unless they are, you know... Uh, real wildcat. But um, I just feel like this person is probably more on the side of correctness. Is this person easily intimidated? No, not at all. I don't know that this person can be intimidated by anything. 
What profession do you think he would go into? Well, with the North Node in Libra, I would assume it has something to do with law or government, maybe. But um, uh, there's so much Taurus and that Mars and Leo cancer. Um, I d- it's sort of like if this person were out in the wild and he was like the only um authority or the only voice of reason in that location i don't know it seems like that maybe am i even close i feel like i'm way out there uh no you're you're very close oh okay <laughs> um are there any other uh, impressions that you get from this chart? Anything else uh, to uh, any other ideas strike you about this chart? Well, as always, it's very difficult to do a chart without a birth time. And I know that many, many, many people in history do not have birth times uh, on record. But um, this person has sun at 27 degrees Pisces which puts it uh, three degrees away from Aries. So I would say that this person has some very fiery elements to them, even though their sun is in Pisces and their Mercury is in Pisces. They have an awful lot of Taurus, which would make them, you know, that, that raging bull, that stomps through the storm and the snow to get to wherever they're trying to get to. The Jupiter in Cancer is a very lovely benevolence with um, somehow nurturing and um, and that moon in, in, in Sagittarius makes them very adventurous. So uh, I guess that's all I have to say right now until I know who they are, if I even know who they are, because sometimes I don't. Okay, then uh, are you ready for the summary of our findings? Yes. So the first thing you said is that this person would be nurturing, uh, but possibly could be crabby. Uh, <laughs> there is a passion for Leo things, entertainment, children, and leadership. This person would be fair-minded, possibly a lawyer or judge, uh, is drawn to those Leo things, entertainment, children, leadership. Uh, Freedom-loving, independent, uh, but also law-abiding, is an honest, truthful person. Uh, Their mother could have been outgoing. Uh, This person could tell a story, spin a yarn, uh, and through their words could inspire things. Uh, But uh, the opposite side is that they could be very good at not telling the truth. Uh, They would be able to communicate creatively, uh, but this person has an interesting temper. Uh, He is headstrong. He enjoys being headstrong. He enjoys his persistence. 
uh, he has uh, would have some connection with religion. Uh, but And it's possible that this connection or this view would be very unique. It's also possible that he would be able to communicate about religion. Uh, he would enjoy adventure uh, and appreciates uh, the outdoors. He would do well in a physical fight. Uh, he uh, would be very combustible. Uh, he has good morals. Uh, he, uh, but could also uh, create his own set of morals, possibly. Uh, his view of the world is most likely black and white. Uh, there are no shades of gray. It is good or bad, black or white. Uh, he is the authority. Uh, not the head of it, but he is in the hierarchy of authority. Uh, he would have a situational view of authority. Uh, he is most likely on the up and up. Uh, he is uh, on the side of correctness. He would not easily be intimidated. Uh, there, uh, it, when asked about his profession, you said it ha would probably have something to do with law and government. Uh, something about him being the only authority in a wild location. Uh, he is very fiery, and these very fiery elements uh, can conflict and combine with uh, these very nurturing elements. He is very persistent, and he is very adventurous. Uh, would you like to know whose chart you've been reading? Yes. This is the astrological birth chart of Frank Hamer. Okay. Frank Hamer is the Texas Ranger who killed Bonnie and Clyde. <gasps> oh! Oh my. Well, I'm very interested in hearing about this gentleman. Uh, so, uh, Francis Augustus Hamer uh, was born on St. Patrick's Day, uh, March 17th, 1884, in Wilson County, Texas. His father uh, was named Franklin. Uh, his mother uh, was named Lou Emma. Uh, his father uh, moved around a bit. Uh, he was uh, sort of a traveling man. Uh, he uh, uh, started out in Missouri, moved all over uh, the south and the northeast. Uh, eventually, in uh, 1874, he found himself in the army uh, at Fort Clark, Texas, down by the border. Uh, after a few months, he was uh, given a discharge for medical reasons, and uh, quickly thereafter, he met Lou Emma, and they got married in 1881. Uh, Frank uh, would be the second of eight children, and uh, their father uh, moved around some more with the family, uh, so throughout uh, the Hill Country, uh, spent a lot of their time in Llano County in the Hill Country. Um, at the age of 16, uh, Frank Hamer had his uh, first true test of uh, how uh, he would handle a, uh, a firefight situation. What would happen if someone started uh, shooting at him? Uh, mm -hmm. He and his brother uh, were working uh, for a farmer uh, close to them. And uh, the farmer started noticing that Frank was a good shot. I mm -hmm. uh, was good at catching game and things. And so he went up to the 16-year-old and he said, you know, I have a job for you. And uh, uh, it will be, uh, I'll give you $150 uh, if, if oh you do my. it. 
And that's that's a whole lot of money in 1900. And so yes. uh, Frank had a kind of a, a wry sense of humor. He said, uh, well, who do I have to kill to get that? Uh-oh. Well, the farmer had an idea. Uh, the farmer wanted him to kill um, one of the competing ranchers in the area. <gasps> oh, no. And uh, Frank didn't want to have anything to do with that. Uh, and in fact, he said that uh, he was going to go tell that rancher yeah. uh, that uh, he's trying to put a mark on him. And uh, so they decided to not talk about it, put it away. Uh, but it can, he continued working on this uh, on this farm. Well, wow. uh, the next day or a couple days later, uh, the farmer goes to Frank and says, uh, need you to go get some things, uh, some food uh, out of uh, out of the house. And uh, Frank's brother was uh, hiding behind a tree and uh, he sees Frank uh, come out uh, of the house. His hands are full of cans and uh, he trips and falls onto the ground. At that moment, the farmer pulled out his double-barreled shotgun and uh, was <gasps> about to shoot at Frank. And the brother said, watch out. And uh, so uh, Frank did. And so he, he got out of the way and uh, the farmer emptied one barrel. And uh, Frank started to get up and run, uh, and run away. And he uh, got hit with the second barrel. He got a few oh. uh, bits of shot in his back. Uh, he hmm. was able to pull around and he had his revolver and he shot the farmer. Wow. Uh, so at the age of 16, uh, he, he had not killed uh, the farmer, but he uh, uh, had learned that he could keep very cool under pressure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, he uh, was uh, taken back home and they need to get a doctor uh, for him very quick because he had uh, all that shrapnel in his uh, back. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, one of the African-American hands who ran uh, and got the uh, doctor to come in to the house and, and saved his life. And that yeah. had a, a profound uh, impact on Frank. He, he would say later that um, my, my greatest friend was, was an African-American man. He saved my life. Uh, yes. And uh, in as he goes forward in his uh, in his law enforcement career, uh, uh, that had a profound impact on what he would do. Uh, so the family decided they wanted to send him somewhere else to, to recuperate, especially since this farmer was still around. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they sent him to uh, the Carr Ranch, and uh, he worked there for several years. And the car ranch uh, had access to the party line. Uh, so a telephone uh, that uh, was connected to the whole community uh, because that way it was a lot easier for people to get messages to each other without having an operator in between having private uh, connections. So mm -hmm. you, everyone could listen to anyone else's conversations. And as a young 20-21-year-old, uh, uh, Frank would just sit there listening onto the telephone uh, mm. to all these different conversations that people were having. Uh, well, uh, around uh, 1906, uh, 1905, um, he's listening on the party line, and uh, something uh, uh, interesting comes up. It's not your usual gossip. Um, the sheriff uh, gets onto the line and talks to one of his former deputies, saying that there's a horse thief. 
that has run away from town and that he can't uh, get a hold. He can't he can't get the posse together to go get that horse thief. And they tell uh, on the party line to each other, well, how are we going to do this? Well, where is he heading? He's heading in this direction. And uh, uh, Frank Hamer knows exactly where he's heading. And he knows mm -hmm. that that horse is going to need water. And the only place to get water uh, in the direction he's heading is at the windmill uh, on the car ranch. And so uh, he pipes up onto the party line and says, uh, uh, I, I can get him. I can get him for you. And uh, so the next day, the horse thief comes by. He's getting his water. And uh, Frank Kamer pulls out his rifle and says, you're arrested. You're coming with me. And uh, he didn't even put up a fight. <laughs> uh, so he delivers uh, the horse thief to the sheriff, and the sheriff says, uh, "You know, you, you've 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 got what it takes to be a law officer. I, in fact, I think you could be a Texas Ranger." Oh, and uh, he was the sheriff was a former Texas Ranger. Wrote a, a formal uh, uh, introduction uh, to uh, the uh, captain uh, in in the local. Company C of the Texas Rangers, and on April 21st, 1906, when he was just 22 years old, Frank Hamer became a Texas Ranger. Wow. Uh, one of uh, the first things that Frank Hamer, one of the first uh, uh, big parts of uh, in, in the line of duty uh, that he uh, participated in, uh, happened in Del Rio in December of 1906. Uh, there was a uh, a criminal uh, who was going by the name of A.R. Sibley. His real name was Ed Putnam. And uh, by December, uh, he had started to, uh, he was trying to uh, uh, wrangle sheep out of the area. And so uh, he had already murdered two ranchers in the area. Oh, my. And uh, he was held up in uh, a, a brothel in Del Rio. And the Texas Rangers all uh, surrounded the brothel, and they told him uh, to surrender. They got all the all all those fine ladies out of there. <laughs> those very fine yes. ladies. Uh, and uh, then it was just Ed in there, and they said, well, "You know, you, we can do this the easy way or the hard way." And Ed decided he wanted to go the hard way, and uh -oh. so they started opening fire. And after the first uh, volley of shots, um, they didn't hear anything, but. Frank noticed that in the back window, the curtain started moving. Uh -huh. And so he started heading in that direction, and he saw a revolver barrel peek out of the curtain. And uh -huh. so Frank Kamer pulled, and he shot. And uh -huh. uh, he got a, a bullet right under his left eye. Ed, so uh, uh, Frank Kamer killed his first man, Ed Putnam. Wow. Uh, uh, and uh, so that was... You know, a very big deal. And uh, the, the Texas Rangers rewarded him by giving him Ed's gun. Oh, my. Uh, he continued uh, in the Texas Rangers. And then 1908, uh, there was uh, just one of the rowdiest, roughest towns in Texas uh, needed some taming. And uh -huh. uh, that, that town was Navasota, Texas. Oh, my. And in 1908, at the age of 24, Frank Hamer became the city marshal of Navasota. And at that time, uh, Navasota had an average of about 50 men who were dying a year from gunfights. Wow. Uh, and uh, there were all sorts of illegal activities and rowdy behavior. And uh, a lot of this was done by the sons of some of the richer families in the area. Oh. And so when this uh, new young city marshal comes in, uh, well, these uh, these 
uh, uh, kids with their silver spoons in their mouths decided they would uh, test him, see see what he was made out of. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a, a young man by the name of Brown, and he goes to the city marshal office and he starts uh, making a ruckus, making all sorts of noise, uh, because uh, hoping that Hamer would come out and uh, see if he was going to enforce, you know, uh, disturbing the peace ordinances in the area. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Frank Hamer uh, took him uh, by the beard and uh, threw him <laughs> into a mud pile. Okay. Uh, another version of the story says he took him by the ear and threw mm-hmm. him onto the curb. Uh, mm-hmm. Simon tells me he probably did both. <laughs> probably. And uh, he marched uh, young Brown into the jail, and he spent mm-hmm. the next uh, night in there. Uh, yeah, and from then on, people him. started to realize, oh, there, there really is a new sheriff in town. That, uh, <laughs> and uh, Frank Hamer started to do his best to clean up Navasota. Uh, good. Uh, going into uh, the 19-teens, he came back uh, onto the Texas Rangers. Uh, he would also serve uh, in uh, the uh, police department in Houston uh, and then uh, go back to the Rangers. And by 1921, uh, he was uh, part of the Rangers. And uh, this is right at the end of the Mexican Revolution. Uh, so Pancho Villa and uh, all of uh, what the Americans would term bandits uh, uh, crossing over into the the border and taking things and shooting things up and going back into Mexico. And 1921 is also the height of prohibition. So there's lots of Mm -hmm. smugglers who are bringing tequila into Texas. And uh, there was one gang uh, that was led by Rafael Lopez, and they were responsible for the deaths of multiple law enforcement officers. And the way that these deaths would occur is as law enforcement officers following uh, the absolute line of the law, they would approach uh, these bandits and announce their presence and tell them to raise their hands. And at that point, the bandits would get their guns and shoot and Mm -hmm. uh, kill uh, these uh, law enforcement officers. So in 1921, Frank Hamer and Texas Rangers are put on uh, to the trail, and they find that they are putting, uh, they're storing this tequila on an island in the Rio Grande uh, that Mm -hmm. is sort of, uh, it's not exactly Mexico and not exactly the United States. No. So uh, they are uh, uh, loading this tequila onto this island, and uh, Hamer and the other Texas Rangers uh, create an ambush, and uh, they just start open firing onto the bandits, and mm-hmm. uh, they killed all six. Oh my! And uh, as they approached uh, the dead bodies, Frank Hamer is quoted saying, "And uh, uh, I'm going to use just a little bit of explicit language here because the quote is deserves it." Uh, as as he approached the, the bodies of these bandits, he says, Manos Arribas, you sons of bitches. Uh, and he told the other uh, Texas Rangers and the other law enforcement officers, see how many of them they kill uh, now that uh, because, you know, the, they, they fired first. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, looking at this from a law enforcement perspective, uh, that would not fly today. Um, but... He he got the bandits. He did what his job right. was, and those men did not kill anybody anymore. Uh, yes. So that is a very uh, um, uh, conflicted view of Hamer and what he was doing. But he's a Texas Ranger operating in the early 1900s. Um, it's really the Wild West still in a lot of places. Yes. Uh, throughout his career, uh, Frank Hamer... Uh, uh, 
would continuously show uh, that he would he would try and view the law as neutral as possible. And a lot of times we see this when it comes to um, the horrible uh, things that are happening to African-Americans in Texas at this time. Uh, there are lots of lynchings. There are lots of innocent African-American men uh, who are uh, being taken and, and hung from trees by uh, lynch mobs, not by the law. Um, and during his career, he is said to have rescued at least 15 African-American men from these lynch mobs. Um, he was also a, a fierce combatant of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, which had a stranglehold over uh, Texas uh, throughout the 19-teens and 20s. And uh, he was very active in trying to stop them and get them off the streets. Um I, interestingly enough, the way that the Klan was really broken up was thanks to one of Hamer's um, political enemies. And mm. uh, that was uh, the uh, first female governor of Texas, Ma Ferguson. Ah. Uh, Ma Ferguson uh, got through the legislature a bill that said that uh, you could not cover your face. Uh, in in broad daylight or at night, uh, so no more masks. So the Ku Klux ah. Klan couldn't go around uh, wearing their their traditional hoods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's a it's quite an awesome thing uh, for uh, Texas to have a, a female governor in 1925, <laughs> and uh, Ma Ferguson proved that a woman can be just as corrupt as a man. Oh no! <laughs> and uh, so, and she was. And during uh, the uh, her first term uh, in the 1920s, uh, she did not really like the Texas Rangers, and part of that was because of um, th- that they didn't like her, and they didn't like corruption. The other part mm-hmm. was because uh, the Texas Rangers were doing; they were sort of their own paramilitary group that really didn't answer to anybody, and they were doing a lot of uh, things in the. Uh, Texas border to Mexican citizens uh, or to uh, people of Mexican descent, uh, which were very bad. Uh, So Mm. these two things kind of came together for her to try and cut the budget of the Rangers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what she ended up doing was Frank Hamer was already so well known that you couldn't just fire him. Uh, So she put him onto cold cases. Uh, so uh, cases that nobody uh, could really figure out who did it or, or cases that were years old. Uh, he actually came very close to getting a uh, a prosecution in the case of a man uh, who had a bomb sent to his house. Um, and uh, it ended up being uh, because of uh, the, the victim's uh, wife um, uh, having such a high opinion of probably the guy who did it and uh, saying that in testimony uh, that Mm. uh, it went to a hung jury. Um, But uh, then uh, one of uh, uh, Hamer's friends, a man named Moody, became governor of Texas, uh, but becomes governor of Texas right as the Great Depression starts. Uh, And so he is eventually... Uh, elected out of office uh, and Ma Ferguson has her second term. And during the second term is when she really does gut the budget of the Rangers and a lot of the Rangers um, turn in their resignations and go to try and find other jobs because they know how corrupt uh, she would be and uh, how much uh, she did not like the Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. As we get into the early 1930s, we're now having the time of um, we're at the tail end of prohibition, but all of these great outlaws uh, or outlaws of uh, fame come 
to being. So uh, you have Machine Gun Kelly and you have Babyface Nelson and you have um, in Texas, you have uh, Bonnie and Clyde, uh, both uh, uh, Texas uh, bred uh, from uh, the east part of Dallas. And uh, they were wreaking havoc uh, all throughout Texas and all throughout the country. Uh, and in January of 1934, uh, they raided the uh, Eastham Prison Farm. Uh, this was a place where uh, Clyde had been sentenced for a while and uh, mm-hmm. was able to get out. Uh, and then uh, a couple of uh, months later, uh, the uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde uh, come back to have a prison break. And there are several... Uh, prison guards who are killed uh, during this break, and uh, it is really uh, an embarrassment to uh, the head of the Texas prison system, a man named uh, Lee uh, Simmons. And Lee Simmons vows that he's going to put Clyde Barrow in the electric chair, and uh, he knows the one man who can get him, and that is mm-hmm. uh, retired Texas Ranger Frank Hamer. Uh, uh-huh. So he goes to Hamer and he says, you're the one. I need you to track these uh, these two down. And mm-hmm. uh, Frank Hamer takes on the task. And what he realizes is that, uh, that while it may seem that Bonnie and Clyde are um, having these attacks at random, um, really they're following the same route. Uh, there's a triangle uh, between Dallas and uh, Missouri and Louisiana and Dallas again. And there are a few Mm -hmm. times where they'll go out to Colorado or they'll go out to North Carolina, but most of their robberies uh, happen within this triangle. And Mm -hmm. uh, just, I'm not going to go too much into detail about Bonnie and Clyde because I think that they'd be interesting subjects for future episodes. Um, But... Uh, it is important to know that um, the movies have lied to us about Bonnie and Clyde. Um, it is not Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Uh, <laughs> uh, we we robbed banks. Um, these were very brutal killers, both of them. Um, and uh, it, it, it is um, honestly sort of a shame that we have held them up uh, as romantic figures all these years mm-hmm. later because uh, there are lots of law officers uh, who were killed in the line of duty, um, lots of them in cold blood. Uh, there were gas station attendants who were shot over $4 um, mm. by by these two. Um, so it, it, it really was important to catch them. Um, and it was most likely that they would not be caught alive, that they, that they mm-hmm. would go down uh, uh, fighting. And uh, so what Hamer and uh, one of his uh, friends that he gets onto the team, uh, uh, a man named uh, Manny, uh, they uh, figure out uh, that there's one sort of hub that hasn't really been explored yet, and that's around Shreveport, Louisiana. Because at this time, Louisiana had still not uh, sent out a warrant for Bonnie and Clyde's arrest. Uh, Hmm. So they could sort of make, they would, continuously travel but they would spend maybe a week or two around this uh, Shreveport area and uh, they were able to track down uh, uh, near uh, uh, near Shreveport uh, there was one of the uh, Clyde gang what uh, one of their parents lived in this area and his name was uh, Henry Methvin and uh, they figured out that they could get to Methvin's parents and say, 
We will give a full pardon to Methvin if you help us in catching Bonnie and Clyde. And uh, through several weeks of negotiations, uh, both with the family and then with um, Governor Ma Ferguson, uh, they were able to get the deal ironed out. And uh, so what they did was on uh, the morning of May 23rd, uh, 1934, uh, the uh, uh, Henry had figured out a way to get away from Bonnie and Clyde, and they knew the highway that they liked to uh, travel uh, in their, uh, you know, the famously uh, V8 uh, Ford. And uh, they set up Henry's father with a logging truck uh, with a down tire. And uh, so they were hoping that Bonnie and Clyde would stop to try and help um, Henry's father with this tire. Uh, what, interestingly enough, and this really tells you about the time period, uh, they had to, uh, they were almost caught multiple times because people, other bystanders kept stopping to try and help this man with his tire. Oh no! (laughs) No, please go move on, move on, please move on. Um, but eventually, uh, Bonnie and Clyde pull up in their V8. Uh, They ask uh, Henry's father uh, if he needs help, and Henry's father pretends that he's uh, sick, and then he gets to a safe place. And at that moment, uh, the law officers get out, and uh, they say uh, uh, to to get out of the car, you know, stop, uh, uh, hands up. Um, Mm -hmm. Bonnie and Clyde do not respond. Many officers say then Bonnie ducks down what looks like she may be pulling out a gun, so they open fire. Mm-hmm. There are over 150 rounds that were shot. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Clyde was hit 17 times. Bonnie was hit yeah. 26 times. Um, yeah. uh, as, uh, bon- as Clyde uh, got hit, he rolled his foot off of the clutch. And so then the vehicle started moving slowly. And so they kept hitting it as it kept moving. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever have a chance to see the video or uh, a see, I think there's a museum that has the car itself. It is absolutely yeah. riddled with bullets. Um, it is. The uh, uh, the bodies and the car were taken uh, to, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, Gelsbrand, Louisiana. I may be saying that wrong, though, or I may have written it down in a, in a way that I can't read it at this point. But a town near Shreveport. And uh, they talk of just the, the onslaught of people. Thousands of people come to the car uh, and they, they start uh, uh, clipping uh, Bonnie's hair. And they uh, one man was trying to cut off uh, Clyde's trigger finger. Um, wow. Just trying to get whatever souvenirs they could off of this Ugh. infamous couple. Um, and when asked about it later, uh, Frank Hamer said that, that uh, he really didn't like shooting a woman um, that it didn't seem right to him at first, but after all these months of being on the trail and, and knowing what she had done to other people and to other mm-hmm. law officers and to other families that no longer have uh, uh, these men in their lives, um, that it was either going to be him or them. And when it came down to that, it had, they had to go. And, mm-hmm. uh, and from that point on, uh, Frank Kamer became uh, uh, into uh, uh, legendary status. Um, mm-hmm. If he had never done that, he would have been known as a very good Texas Ranger. But the actual killing of Bonnie and Clyde uh, catapulted him to another level. 
Um, he uh, worked for a, a uh, his own. He created his own private security firm, which he worked uh, with through the late 1940s. And then uh, he would end up passing away in 1955. Um, Frank Hamer is uh, one of the... Uh, Texas Rangers, one of the best known, um, especially of the 20th century. Um, I've heard uh, one of the uh, biographers of Frank Hamer say that he is probably the greatest law officer of the 20th century. Um, He uh, was a man who in his own time of the early 1900s, was um, surprisingly progressive in his view of African Americans, um, though there are lots of people uh, on the border uh, who don't have very high uh, feelings towards him because of what the Texas Rangers were doing in the 19-teens and 20s. Um, his actions, uh, his uh, I mean, I think that there's a, a lot of what he did that um, bears out here. I, I mean, you... you, you pretty quickly started talking about law and about yes. uh, uh, government and about authority yes. and, uh, yes. you know, the idea of being an authority in a wild place. Um, yes. That's him. That is Frank. <laughs> yes. That's really interesting because, I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm kind of trying to figure out, wow, you know, where would his rising sign be? What is a a, a possibility? It is possible that this north node could be in the eighth house, you know, which would be uh, your direction regarding the law made you infamous, you know, mm-hmm. that's a thought. Uh, but I mean, the later we go after noon, uh, the further this moon goes into Sagittarius, the more solidified it gets into the law. And uh, keeping law for Sagittarians. And uh, wow, that's amazing because I had to come back and look at the sun at 27 degrees, which is really on the cusp of Aries, which would have given him a lot of fire, you know, in his in his demeanor. And then with all of this tenaciousness, with all of this Taurus, you know. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, this chart for this man, even though we don't have the right rising. I don't think his rising is cancer because I think that it was probably something different. But, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I think, uh, yeah. When you take a, a look at, you know, leadership, that's definitely more of the Leo aspect that is uh, guiding him than an entertainment. Um, the, uh, yeah, I think a lot of it makes sense. I think that, I I don't know. I I think it it may have been pretty close to noon because, I mean, I don't think you'd want that uh, North node to be getting into Scorpio. Um, no, no, no. The North node wouldn't change. The only thing that would change is the, uh, moon. Okay. And it would just change, it would get into a later degree. Okay. Okay. So everything else would just change house. Oh. Okay. okay. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, it would just move everything kind of turn, turning the wheel this way. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. So to get this North node to the eighth house, uh, it would be two, four, maybe four hours later. So maybe four, four thirty would get this to the eighth house, you mm. know, 
But I don't know for sure that that's where it belongs. It just kind of, it would make sense. Yeah. You know? But I think but, that, uh, that what we have right here is, is pretty close. Pretty close. Pretty close, Chandler. And that's a very, very interesting subject. And talking about Navasota. And uh, you know your great-grandmother used to tell stories about Bonnie and Clyde robbing the uh, Madisonville Bank. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So they were and, pretty famous there, too. Uh, I, I think that um, our my great-grandfather, your grandfather, may have known one of their victims. Because uh, uh, one of the law officers in Dallas uh, was the same age as uh, Papa, and he was uh, from the same town in Alto, Texas. Oh, I'm sure. So it, I'm sure it, everybody knows everybody in Alto. Yeah, yeah there's, there's not a whole <laughs> lot of people now. to know. Uh, so, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that, that's, uh, uh, yeah, Bonnie and Clyde definitely... Um, Cemented their mark uh, through this portion of Texas and and in in America. Yeah, very very interesting. Good choice, Chandler. Very interesting history there. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, is there uh, any other uh, things you want to talk about? Uh, any other impressions that you get from uh, the chart now that you know who it is? Well, it's clearly that this North Node in Libra is about law. Yeah, and that and that his Moon. Uh, it it makes it very clear to me that his moon is in Sagittarius and probably further in yeah. a later degree, more like 10, 15, 18 degrees, you know? So uh, very interesting. Uh, well, on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, I think this is pretty close to right on the money. Uh, this is <laughs> uh, uh, as close as we can uh, without knowing the birth time. I, I think that there's a lot of things here that... Um, bear out in the career of Frank Hamer. Yes, absolutely. And that tenaciousness to go and just keep going until he got, he, he got his man mm-hmm. or woman in this mm-hmm. case mm-hmm. also. <laughs> uh, well, that concludes this episode of history and retrograde. I'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to uh, support the show, uh, we have links to our social media uh, in the show description. Uh, the Facebook, Instagram, email. We'd love to hear from you, uh, how you like the show, suggestions uh, for uh, other mystery history guests. Uh, all those uh, links are available there. We also have a link to our PayPal account. Um, every little bit helps us in uh, creating a better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, so uh, anything uh, that you would uh, feel comfortable uh, giving would be very much appreciated. We also have a link there if you would like to be your very own mystery history guest we can make that happen uh so we have a uh, link to uh, my mom's email so that is chandler's mom at history and and uh, you can email that and mom will get with you and uh, go over the details of how we can uh, get your chart read or maybe a sinistry chart with that special someone uh mom is there anything else you'd like to add Yes, I'd just like to say I'm having a wonderful time um, throwing charts for people and discussing them with them. And uh, if you would like your chart done, I am taking appointments now for November. So um, just email me and we'll get you set up with an appointment. Uh, So, uh, as always in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you all so much for being there and listening. And happy fall, everyone. Autumn is my favorite time of year. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. 
Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.